Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Chitheads. My guest today is JP Sears. JP is an emotional healing coach, YouTuber, author, international teacher, speaker at events, world traveler, and curious student of life. His work empowers people to live more meaningful lives. JP is the author of How to Be Ultra Spiritual, which was published by Sounds True in 2017. He is very active with his online videos where he encourages healing and growth through his humorous and entertainingly informative videos, including his hit ultra spiritual comedy series, which has accumulated over 100 million views. You can learn more about JP and his work at awakenwithjp.com. So hello, JP. Thanks so much for joining me. Hey, Jacob, you're welcome. I I am happy to be here with you. I think it would have been awkward not to join you. Yeah. Like we had this appointment set up. But. Absolutely. Yeah, no, um, you know, before we get into talking about your work, and I, I, I'm eager to hear sort of the story of what led you to the work that you do, but I just want to kind of remark on the fact that, you know, I initially, when I thought about interviewing you, I... Um, it was sort of obvious to me that I would be talking to the person behind the character JP series. And then when I was mentioning it to some friends, they asked me, you know, the follow-up question was like, well, you know, are you, are you sure that's like in JP's brand to talk to him as the person behind the mask? And, and so I was like, oh, okay. I never even thought that that might be an issue. And so I contacted, well, I interviewed your friend, Chris Grosso, and he said that you'd be eager to talk to, uh, to talk from that perspective. And also uh, Karen, of course, your assistant, Karen said that you would as well. So I just wanted to share with the audience who's listening that um, we're going to be talking to JP about JP today and other things but from, <laughs> from the perspective of uh, JP, the real organic human being. So um, so with that, JP, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, what led you the story of your own kind of spiritual practice or the story that led you into the work that you do um, today. Yeah, I'd be happy to share it. And I'll, I'll probably share it like out of chronological sequence. Of It'll course, be no kind problem. of Pulp Fiction style. <laughs> cool. uh, you, know, you know, probably won't shoot anybody in the face in the car. Great. It's, sounds like a gory reference, but if you've seen Pulp Fiction, then Great movie. It's, it's not as gory. Oh, <laughs> it is. So what, you know, so if I consider like a lot of what I do now is comedy based, mm -hmm. not all, but a lot of what I do is make comedy videos and comedy performances, things like that. So how I got to this part of my career uh, was, I think, through the doorway of the early part of my career, which is for 13 years, I was doing emotional healing client coaching, actually for 15 years, emotional healing client coaching and running retreats and workshops around the world on healing and personal empowerment themes. So there, there was a, a lot of just beautiful work done in the realm of the human heart and psyche. And of course, my own self-work is going on with that. And then, you know, 13 years into doing that, I finally gave myself permission to let my natural comedic perspective mm -hmm. come out in the mm -hmm. professional setting because I had told myself a, a really delusional story, but I believed it. So I thought it was a true story that said it would be terrible for business to let my sense of humor come out. It would discredit me as an emotional healing coach and kind of a spiritual guy yeah. because because of like Eckhart Tolle and Deepak <laughs> Chopra. Like those guys are really very insightful. Serious. Yeah, but very serious yeah. and like sort of 
boring. <laughs> very formative. Yes, awesome. I think so. Yeah. So I thought that's who I was supposed to be. Like never did it dawn on me for those 13 years to think like maybe I'm supposed to be me. It's like, no, I'm supposed to be like them. Yeah. So anyway, 13 years that like I, it, I got tired of betraying myself. I couldn't like restrict myself from being more fully myself any longer. So my comedic perspectives had to come out. And that came through releasing my first comedy video called How to Be Ultra Spiritual. That was released, I think, October 5th, 2014. Oh, wow. So the ultra spiritual like brand went back to that very first comedic video. Yeah. And by no means did I think it was going right. to be a brand. You know, I was just the blind man stumbling along. Yeah. Like a lot of great blessings that have come from that video were not planned, not premeditated right. consciously. Yeah. I, I know we can get spiritual and think like it was all preordained. Like, yeah, <laughs> but I wasn't smart enough to be in tune with it. Yeah. So, so I, it was really a way of me honoring myself and giving myself more permission to be me. Like I'm not just a comedian, but that's a part of me. Of so the, the comedy video became uh, comedy videos after two or three weeks of having released the first one, it dawned on me, like maybe I could make another one. Like mm -hmm. that felt really good. Maybe I should do, do that. So from there, so many beautiful doors of opportunity have opened for me. Uh, what, what probably the most significant door is the creative expression of doing ongoing comedy videos and letting how I do them and what I do them evolve. And then there's a lot of great business opportunities that are creative opportunities themselves that have opened up because, of course, I, I guess just to call it like it is, when you build a big audience other businesses will see you as a pawn in their business game. And yes. when there's men with values and creative inspirations, like, oh, cool. Like, it'll be a pleasure for you to use me uh, to better your business because I'll use you as part of the canvas of my creativity. And then getting a little tangential here, going back in time, what what got me started on the first phase of my career doing emotional healing work was me projecting my need for emotional healing onto other people mm. being so arrogant that I couldn't be vulnerable to say, you know what? I'm hurting inside beneath this blanket of numbness. I'm hurting inside. I feel disconnected and I need help. So I developed a passion to help other people in my late teens and early 20s. And, and it was important for me to just so blindly project that onto other people, because if I didn't do it, I don't think I would have found myself in that projection. Yeah. So that that was, an I would dare say, an important seed of arrogance that blossomed into humbleness, which was then unfolding me into more discovery of me and my unseen dimensions of my heart that had always been there, but I had been very numb and blind to them. Mm. Wow, that's really beautiful. I mean, what I'm sort of hearing that's really kind of interesting and, and maybe inspiring for some people who feel similarly creative is that it almost sounds like the, you know, your process of healing has at least partly been about, you know, accessing, cultivating and letting be expressed the creative, you know, spirit inside of you. Do you think that that is, um, that that is sort of, uh, 
characteristic of the process of kind of opening up and awakening in a, in a kind of spiritual way is to kind of get um, more intimate with our own creative capacities? I think it is a huge dimension of it. I don't think it's the only dimension. Sure. I think it's a huge dimension, and I think it is one of the most untapped places of pricelessness, sustainable pricelessness, sustainable beyond value in our lives. And, you know, I, I, I kind of think when we're being creative, just sound a little cliche here, but I don't think we're creating our art. We're not making the creativity. I think we're letting it come through us. So yeah. when we're in a creative state, whether it's we're in a conversation, we're exploring new perspectives, or we're making a video, doing some writing, making a song, doing a painting. There's so many ways to be creative. Like we can yeah. get creative on how we can express creativity. Yeah. So when we're doing that, I think we're tapped in. We're fully connected to something beyond ourselves. It's like the umbilical cord that connects us to where we come from. It's unkinked. So that's, that's how creativity yeah. comes through us. And, and I think that helps clean us out. Like there is like, call it pure holy water coming through the vessel of thyself. What does that clean us out of? Or what does that clean out of us? If I'm speaking coherent English, I don't know, but I think it's something significant. I, I, to me, it's like if we're drinking pure spring water, that is one of the best things we can do for our detoxification system. So what does that do, the creativity, what does that do to help us heal old stuff, wash away, you know, slowly limiting beliefs, things that doesn't, that don't serve us, psychological toxins that we carry. It's a mystery, but I think there is something to it. There's a, a poet and writer named Mark Nepo. I, I'm curious, have you heard of him? No, I haven't. Beautiful writing. He's got a, a bunch of books published. I know sounds true. My publisher publishes some of his work. Oh, they have. Okay, I'll check it out. And yeah, he, he's amazing. And actually, he lives in New York City. Maybe you know him. Like, there's not many people in New Mark York City. Mark Nepo. I'm gonna put it down. Yeah, there's there's only a few people in New York City. Yeah, I'm sure you're running to him. <laughs> so I took a workshop with him about a year and a half ago, just a short evening workshop, and. And he, he stated his opinion that the reason why we have so much violence in the world is because it's a symptom of unexpressed creativity. Mm. And I sat with that. It's like, well, is that a fact? Like, who knows? Like, he said it. And, it, and But sitting with the magnitude of that possibility, it, that really struck me. And the idea of like, okay, there is, I, I think, in my delusional opinion, there is a river of life that wants to flow through us, and creativity is the river. That that is strong energy, yeah. really strong energy. And and when we say yes to it, when we surrender the control uh, of our conscious mind and say yes to letting creativity live through us, wow, that's powerful energy. But if we consider that same river of life very powerful that wants to live through us. If we don't let it, if we become constricted, I consider, wow, that powerful energy, it's got to do something. It's got to go somewhere. If we're not letting it be expressed directly, wow, maybe it does get expressed through 
violence. It's like when we when we harbor enough electrical energy and we don't allow it to be expressed straightforward, that can get misdirected in a powerful way. And I'm not talking necessarily just powerful as in like amazing, but it, uh, powerful possibly as destructive. So psychological violence, physical violence, I just look at that as like, wow, maybe that is a uh, uh, an expression of unexpressed creativity. So long story short, I in, in the past two and a half years where I've been doing comedy videos, which have been my first immersion into creativity and art in my life, based on that experience, I got to really believe there's something immensely true to your thought about creativity being uh, uh, a significant spiritual connection and a significant way of psychologically cleansing and healing ourselves. Mm, yeah, I, I love what you're saying. It's so beautiful. And so, you know, to kind of continue on in that vein, it seems then that, you know, these, whether they're social, kind of the, you know, ossified structures of thought or, or belief that sort of encourage us to stay limited, you know, or encourages us, or encourage us to kind of continue in the same vein that these social structures um, would desire, you know, unconsciously desire, then, you know, it makes sense that the, the process of practice would be partly a process of disentangling ourselves from that kind of feeling of being, you know, I don't know, repressed, both by the, the cultural paradigm and also, you know, our own personal karmas or whatever junk it is that's in our way. And I really like that idea of, you know, clearing the pathway, just like the metaphor you use with the with water, like spring water, it's the a practice is like taking a, a glass of spring water, not that you're trying to get to this kind of, you know, ideal self or perfect self yeah. or anything like that, but that you're just looking to get out of your own way. Because, yeah. you know, and that you know, that ultimate force of of the universe as you, ex you know, that, that creative force is in a sense us, but it is a, a, in a certain sense, like, um, the most expansive form of us, right? Absolutely. And it's, it's something, as you said, and I agree, it is us, but it's something my ego, uh, experiences as something separate than me. Yeah. Even though like I, I know in my, intellectual brain that comprehends spiritual philosophy and, and in my heart it knows yeah that's me mm -hmm. but my ego says no that's separate from me because look there's there's distance between me and that tree so that's yeah. separate from me and and i think the beauty of creativity is when i'm in a creative state whether it's for two minutes or an hour during that time i experience a conscious connection with that thing that is me that I have a, you know, my ego believes is part, uh, not part of me. So that, that hour long of communion, uh, and conscious connection. And that's, if that's not gluten-free vegan chicken soup for the soul, I don't know what is <laughs> like, when do we stop calling it chicken soup? Like, okay, it's, there's no chicken in it. So like, let's not call it chicken soup. <laughs> There's no noodles, so let's not call, let's call it, it broth. Broth for the soul. Exactly. <laughs> so, okay. So it's it's interesting because you, you speak about all of these things with just 
a genuine, and honestly, I, I actually haven't, you know, I haven't heard any of the other interviews that I, you mentioned before. You've done interviews where you do talk, you know, from, from who you are. And so it's interesting to hear such a kind of, you know, genuine and vulnerable, almost like a person talking very openly about these things where, you know, your character is, my experience of the character, and maybe I just interpreted it wrong, but I felt a strong sense of satire, you know, like sure. a kind of a, a deep criticism and critique of of a lot of sort of, you know, things that we see in in the kind of yoga, meditation, spiritual community. So, you know, what is the the role? Is that there? Am I, you know, am I am I spot on in thinking that you have some deep criticisms of, of what you're witnessing, of what we're all kind of witnessing in terms of the commercialization of, of, of all of this. Um, yeah. So if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely satire for sure. <laughs> no question about that. But what, what is the satire slicing through and criticizing, if you will? To me, it's my intention is never criticizing the the practice so when i'm doing a video parodying yoga i'm actually not criticizing yoga if i'm doing a video criticizing veganism or meditation it's not actually criticizing veganism or meditation it's criticizing how our egos uh, gain a sense of significance from those so it's it's essentially shining the light on how most of us think feel and behave around a practice. I think the practice is awesome. That's yeah. the pure thing. But when we have our, our shadows start to latch onto it and we take this thing called meditation and then our ego starts to gain a sense of insignificance or I'm sorry, a sense of significance from meditation mm -hmm. and starts to use meditation as a control drama so that it can feel more powerful. Right. Like I'm going to completely disrupt the flow of the, family gathering because I have to meditate and I have to announce that I'm going to meditate and I have to tell you how long I'm going to meditate so that you'll know I meditate longer than you. So to me, the ego control dramas are yeah. what I'm slicing through with uh, satire. And, and to me, there's also a, a tremendous amount of self-therapy in that because you know, my spiritual practice, my health practices are very important to me. And my videos are a way that I can shine the light on my own shadows mm. of control, judgment, self-righteousness that are my human nature, yet those things like to hide under a noble looking hiding spot so they don't get found out. And if I can hide them under spirituality or some subtopic of spirituality, then it appears like it's an off-limits hiding spot. Nobody's going to find it because we can't question spirituality. That's blasphemy. It's like, yeah, we can. Like, I need it. I need it. Question. Yeah. And I, you know, uh, 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 another particular video I did, I don't know what it's been, probably two years ago at this point, uh, how to become gluten intolerant. Yes, love that one. <laughs> Thank so you. It, and, you know, I did that video because that's me. I, I, I've been gluten intolerant, gluten free for at least 15 years. And I started to come to terms with, wow, when I go back and visit my family, I am just a asshole. Like I am very self-righteous. I'm a jerk. I'm controlling. I'm entitled. 
And, and for years, I would say, like, that's me being gluten-free and looking out for my health. Like, no, that's not me being gluten-free and looking out for my health. That is me being controlling, and that's me being a jerk. I can practice gluten freedom without the controlling entitlement there. Yeah. They're two separate things. So a lot of what I do in videos is separate the behavior from the practice, if you will, because we like to hide our human behaviors that we have inherent shame about underneath something noble so that our yes. shame of it doesn't get found out. And if we didn't have shame about it, we wouldn't be hiding it in the first place. So I think transparency and vulnerability are some of the most healing forces uh, uh, available to us. So when we can separate the behavior and the thinking and feeling behind it from the practice, now we have a chance to become transparent and vulnerable with what's real to us. And I also think much like creativity or repressed creativity, when something isn't expressed directly, it gets expressed misdirectly and chaos tends to ensue when we express something misdirectedly. So if we're expressing our judgments, not in an honest way, but in a misdirected way through passive aggressive statements surrounding our yoga practice, mm -hmm. where we're like throwing jabs into people who are less conscious than us, but we're doing it with like a love and light smile on our face and pretending like we're not doing it, that, that creates a lot of destruction, a lot of chaos in our lives. And we pretend like it's not there. And we might actually pretend so well that it's not there that we convince ourselves that it's not there. And I think that can be incredibly destructive in our lives, our personal relationships, as well as we become inherently more disconnected from our true self, from our authentic self, because we're hiding that kind of material. So I think it's incredibly therapeutic for us to shine the light on uh, what we don't know about ourselves and what we uh, deem to be our shadows. Yeah. Uh, what, what's really refreshing, actually, in the way that you're talking about this is that, you know, this conversation, this part of the conversation could have gone one of two ways. It could have been, you know, look at all of these people doing this and criticizing that way. But actually, you're, you're moving from the opposite direction, which is much more admirable, it seems, which is like, it was just saying, no, this, this, this arose out of my own reflection on my own habits, you know, on, on the, the shadow side of myself. And, and of course, we all share that. And, and of course, you know, it's, it's, re it's incredibly relatable for all of us. But I appreciate that you're it's that you're not necessarily talking about this aspect of your work as being inspired by what you see in other people but really by what you've you know noticed in yourself but i'm curious yeah. now based uh, on thank you for that by the way yeah, I appreciate absolutely so what based on what you're saying I, i'm actually curious to hear if you've had much if you've had many people misunderstand your what you're criticizing because you say you're criticizing the behavior not the practice but have you had any pushback from people who think that you're targeting the practice yeah, occasionally, for sure. And I, in the beginning of me doing comedy videos, there was definitely a lot more of it because people weren't used to my videos. It was a new thing. And, and I, based on what I've seen, there weren't many, maybe not any, examples of other people doing this the way I do it, where we can not only have spiritual comedy, but make the spirituality the butt of the joke. So in the beginning there, there was, I wouldn't say 
by any stretch of the majority, but definitely more people than present day who thought like, oh, he's, he's making that ultra spiritual video because he thinks spirituality is stupid and new age people are stupid. Like, no, I'm one of them. I, I love these people or else I wouldn't be paying attention to them. Yeah. I'm one of them. So I think after I, I did the, the videos consistently, uh, it became obvious based on like the depth and nuances that like, okay, this guy, he's in this culture yeah. or else like some of these nuances, like he, he wouldn't know. And, and then there, there's the occasional video to this day where it's in, you know, uh, and I'll just preface this by no longer do I just corner myself into only doing videos in the spiritual genre. Like, yeah, I, I love the spiritual genre. It's where I started. But now it's important to me to let my perspective and creativity go to like any other realm that is near and dear to me. So the yeah, with that said, occasionally there's a video that pops up where a group of people will think like, oh, he's criticizing us. Uh, the video I did about a year ago, if meat eaters acted like vegans. Yes. I mean, some of the vegan community, was just, some of them were pissed and others were like, thank God, I so appreciate this video. And, and of course, the ones that were pissed, of course, took it personally. Yeah. You know, Don Miguel Ruiz would say, don't take anything personally, but yeah, we all do that at times. Yeah. So they took it personally and thought like, I'm criticizing veganism. But it's like, no, not at all. I'm criticizing the behaviors. And I'm not even criticizing the behaviors. I'm doing my best to not pretend like they're not there. I'm doing my best to shine the light on these behaviors that some people will hide underneath veganism. Some people hide under paleoism or uh, any other thing we make a religion. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and with that said, I, I it's important for me to not come from a people-pleasing mentality of let me make this video to make everybody happy. I think the surest way to make make sure that you put out absolute watered down meaningless crap is try to please everybody. It means you're not going to say anything real. So I have to go beyond my people pleasing addiction and be in a monogamous relationship with a creative muse when I'm creating videos and have a voice and unapologetically voice the voice that I'm inspired to express and uh, let it come out that way so that I'm not stuck in a place of trying to avoid people feeling offended if they need to feel offended. You know, it's never my intention to hurt anybody, but I've, I've got to be true to my creative muse. Yeah. And we're all grateful you are. Yeah. Well, so, so, um, what's been your biggest challenge then for, um, in, you know, since your kind of star has risen in this way, um, and you have, you know, you're, uh, as I was mentioning that number at the beginning, the, the 100 million views, I, I think, or I'm sure it's probably more by now on your videos, you know, what has been the biggest challenge for you in this kind of evolution of your career um, to this place mm -hmm. of, you know, notoriety and, you know, uh, some, some degree of fame within the yoga community, at least? Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to pretend that there aren't challenges. Like, you know, I burnt some sage and that washed away my challenges, Jacob. Like, it's <laughs> perfect. I, maybe next conversation, I'll, I'll play that card. 
Okay. There's been honestly so many challenges. I think with any great blessing and growth comes challenges. Mm -hmm. If there were no challenges, it wouldn't be growth. Yeah. Right. Period. It'd just be the familiar territory recreated. And it's like, yeah, I know how to deal with this because I've been here a thousand times. So it's like, nope, there's new territory here. So I figure out like, how do I, it's like lifting a, a weight that's heavier than I've ever lifted before. It makes me stronger and it's challenging as hell. Some of the biggest challenges would be the flat out recognition. There's blessings to that, certainly. But the, the biggest challenge of that is it's tempting to think that I am who I think other people think I am. So seeing the way people see me and thinking I'm that, that is that is the most lethal, surefire way to lose myself. Ugh. And it and not only would it mean I lose myself, it means I feel absolutely empty inside because I hook, line, and sinker identify as someone who I'm not. Mm-hmm. I identify with someone's like snapshot version of like, oh, JP's this awesome person. It's like, okay, yeah, I am this awesome person. I'm someone who's like better than everybody else because you see me with like a little bit of spotlight on me, maybe have me on a pedestal and you think I'm that. So it's like, okay, all the other 99% stuff about me, I have to disconnect from that in order to play the role and identify with who you think I am. That is death before I die. Mm. And, and there's times where I'll oscillate into that a little bit. And honestly, it scares the hell out of me. And I am also grateful that I am scared of losing myself to who I think other people think I am. If I wasn't scared about that, it means I'd probably be completely swallowed up by identifying with who other people think I am. So, you know, at times where I'll sort of slide into it and, you know, lose myself a bit for a few days or a week, like it, it feels empty as freaking hell. Yeah. It feels anxious. And, and I'm glad that I've jammed into that electric fence that doesn't feel good. It helps me have a more intentional sense of self to maintain. And yeah, it, and it can be like I'm getting into JP therapy hour here. Uh, thank you, Jacob. <laughs> Let's I'll go there. The Let's three, go there. I'll pay the $300 bill when okay, we're done. Okay, great. I'm going to invoice you. <laughs> you know, it, and it can be very. You know, it's it's weird. Like, there nowhere do you learn what it's like to be at an event where hundreds of people are coming up to you, praising you, wanting a picture with you. Nowhere do you learn how to deal with the shadow side of that. Yeah. Other than being there in the moment, like you don't learn to walk until you're trying to walk. So it's like there's nothing that really prepares you for it other than like going through it. And I'm very grateful that I had, I I guess before the the recognition started, I would call it a good 13, uh, yeah, a solid 13 years of intentional self-work and healing because the challenges are very challenging on me. And I can't imagine being remotely balanced without that decade, almost decade and a half of a foundation of self-work. It's like, wow, I, I honestly wouldn't wish a lot of recognition on my worst enemy 
unless they have a deep foundation in self to be anchored in. So, you know, you asked about the challenges. I don't want to sound pessimistic, like, oh, it's all challenges. Like, there's so many blessings to talk about. But I love the nature of your question. I, I think the the shadows are always inherently more interesting and and juicy and probably beneficial than just like love and light what's working well and what's easy for you. Exactly. And feeling and hearing your honest portrayal about, you know, because I mean, I'm sure a lot of people out there would love kind of to have a chance or a stab at the kind of notoriety of, of, of what you do. But, you know, it's important to discuss the ways in which, you know, it's a challenging and I, and I really appreciate what you said because it was more than, it wasn't just that you said, that, oh, oh, well, I feel, you know, challenged by the fact that people expect, you know, or like, like that you have to sing and dance like the character JP Sears all the time when people expect you. But it was more than that. It was more, it was, it was deeper than that. It was that you feel challenged by the, um, the, the, the elevated perception people have have of you, have of you just by being, you know, a, a sort of famous person in the yoga community and the, the, the way that you might sort of internalize that elevated vision of yourself and sort of allow your ego to be inflated. So, so this is sort of what I'm hearing you say, which is sure. sort of, is sort of a little bit qualitatively different than just feeling challenged by having to play the character all the time, you know? For um, sure. Yeah. So in terms of, um, yeah, you know what we're talking about in the 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 spiritual community. I would love to hear what you say. I mean, I feel like we're already talking about this, but um, what do you think that if you could put it in like the three biggest challenges or shadow maybe aspects of of the um, of of the spirit of the spiritual community or the yoga meditation community or however you want to put it, like what are our three biggest shadows that we have to work through as a community? I think the it's a good question. I have no idea, yet I have an opinion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the biggest challenge is fear of discomfort. Mm. I think the, I would say fear of discomfort slash addiction to comfort. Mm. What I think there's nothing wrong. In fact, I think it's very beneficial to be able to be positive, see love and light everywhere, and to be joyful, dancing, awesome. But when we're only that, we're manic. We are absolutely disconnected from a lot of what's real inside of us. And in fact, in, when someone is only rooted and I can only think positive, don't you dare tell me you're sad. I, and I, if you do, I'll just tell you to let it go because I'm like so uncomfortable with your discomfort that I want you to be different than who you are. And don't you dare connect with the language of your soul called your feelings because that scares me. Unless it's happiness, you can connect to that. So when, when that happens under the guise of positive thinking, I think it is basically us having such a negative attitude towards pain, discomfort, and negative thinking that we reject it before it even comes in. It's like, that's not loving. That's not accepting that is rejecting. So we might do that with other people. And we don't, we, if we do it with other people, it means we do it with ourselves. We are here so embracing of our love and light that we don't see how we are absolutely rejecting the real stuff inside of us that needs our attention, the pain, 
the wounded inner child who feels like crap about himself. And then he feels like crap about himself because he's been rejected in his past. And then we make him feel worse because we reject him. We don't give him the time of day. Don't even acknowledge he's there because we only want to think in love and light terms. So I think what's way more bigger and whole than love and light is real. I think what's real includes love and light, but it also includes the sensitivity, the vulnerability that like, wow, I get depressed too. Like I really do. And not only is that okay, I think that's where a lot of my significant growth comes from. So I think that's a, I forget the nature of the question. That's how good of a listener I am. One of the biggest challenges or shadows is, is our fear of being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So, and honestly, I think the heart and soul of yoga teaches us to embrace discomfort, like breathe with it. And we do that during a yoga class so that we can train ourselves to do it outside of the yoga class. Like if I have something come up, like I'm upset, can I breathe with that and let that come out rather than holding my breath, choking it down? We know during the yoga class, if you're uncomfortable, legs are shaking, hold to, hard to hold the posture, it gets much worse if we hold our breath. But if we breathe with a breathing is the metaphoric way we embrace it then I think we're, we're, uh, doing, we're connecting with it. We're saying yes to the discomfort. And I think maybe, uh, instead of rambling on for 45 minutes about number one, the, the, the second method of, uh, what, and remind me, was it the second, the three challenges? The three cha- like the three, yeah, the three shadows or challenges of the, you know, what we, what we're dealing with as like a community in, in, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the second challenge is we worship the path we're on. Mm. It's like I think we're it works far more in our favor. It serves us more when we worship, if you will, where the path takes us. And let's just say that is oneness, connection to our true self, like however we want to term it. But when we start to worship the path we're on. That means we become very religious about what we do, what our practices are. And if we're not careful, we can use religion to separate us and limit us. Yes, yeah. So it, can we use yoga as a tool instead of worshiping yoga? It's like, no, worship what yo- where yoga takes you, but don't worship yoga. Worship where meditation takes you. Worship where your philosophy takes you. Worship where your religion takes you, but don't worship the tool worship where it takes you because i think the problem is when we worship the tool when we worship the path we become very limited by that path there i think the path we take to find ourselves will eventually become the path that limits us if we're attached to it because we are bigger than the path where we're going is bigger than the path the mountain is bigger than the path so another problem with that i believe is when we're worshiping the the path we start to fall into this place of we only associate with like-minded people. Those who also worship the path is essentially what it is. And I think we, we, 
we learn more when we're associated with different minded people, like like hearted people who we can like accept, even though we disagree about some things at least. But when we're only around people who we agree with because because they're people who worship the path too, then it's like oh, we sit around and agree with each other all day and that's comfortable, but we don't learn anything. I think learning and growth comes from friction. Like, tell me something different than what I believe so I can consider the topic in a bigger way than I currently know how to. So I think that's a, a, a big challenge. So to, to go beyond that challenge of worshiping the path we're on, I think we need to get to a place where we can have our beliefs but not believe our beliefs. Mm. Have mm. our beliefs because they're important to us. Let's not throw them away. They're important to us. But can we not believe our beliefs? Can we actually poke holes in our beliefs? See the shadow side of our belief. See what's maybe beyond our belief. And that's part of what I do with my own spiritual practice. My whole book, How to Be Ultra Spiritual, is largely me poking holes in my spiritual beliefs because I don't want to be limited by them. I want to be in the community, but also be able to be outside of the community so that I can be more expansive than just the limitations of a path. And it's a great path or else we wouldn't be on it. But also there's something greater than the path. And man, yeah. So I'm on my soapbox here. No, this is great. I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to, I want to kind of comment on the two things you just said so far, and then we'll get into the third one because I, there's a couple of things that are really kind of um, resonating. Well, I mean, both the things you said really resonate with me. And the first one in terms of the, um, you know, not be wanting to be uncomfortable. This, this, some, this is something that's really come up a lot in conversations that I've been having, and um, and you know, and there's a whole host of reasons for it. Obviously, not the least of which is kind of you know socio-historical, and I'm sure it has something to do with Judeo-Christian you know religious upbringings and stuff like that, and what is permissible to talk about, and all this and that. But one of the things seems to be that you know discomfort is in our conception of the divine or whatever it is that we're seeking, you know, we don't reserve a place for the divinity of discomfort, you know, right? Like, so, and one, and, and it's interesting because if you look back, you know, let's just speak from a yoga perspective, since that's sort of my, you know, my path without worshiping it. <laughs> um, You're so attached. I'm just so attached. I mean, I need to get over this. Yeah. But, you know, is, you know, you even in the, 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 the iconography and the, the mythology of the tradition, I mean, you see a lot of like righteous anger, you know, Shiva, for example, is like chopping heads off and he's really pissed off. And, and there's a whole host, the whole range of human emotion is, is illustrated in these, in these myths and they're, and they're being, you know, and they're they're being embodied by people that we that we associate with kind of the divine representations and archetypes of the tradition, and so it's it, and and this sort of makes me think of another interview I did with this woman Vera de Chalambert, where she was talking about you know she's going through a dark night of the soul and and um, and it's associated with a lot of the discomfort that we're talking about, and in these times you know she was encouraging this relationship which with what she calls the dark mother and and anyway it was just i just think it's interesting that you know we have kind of tools like these sort of um these forms of iconography or mythology that help us to connect and even you could say that literature does that too helps us to the connect to the kind of humanness and and really the the beauty really of of a lot of this discomfort but um but for some reason we're not you know engaging with those tools so much and so that was anyway that was one thing that i thought about and then the other thing that you you say about um 
what was the second one? The second one was... Um, yeah, uh, worshiping the path. Worshiping the path. Yeah, this seems to be like something that is almost, you know, you see it across all sections of society, right? We have these echo chambers of, of, of thinking around politics or, you know, whatever. And, and it, this is actually, I think, also coupled with the first thing you're saying, because the re the well, part of the reason why we're getting so you know like isolated around our own path and our own worldview is because we've lost our capacity to be uncomfortable with the messiness of public discourse right where we actually have to engage with somebody who doesn't agree with us you know and, sure. and 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 that becomes then you know that disagreement then becomes couched in this kind of like warlike good evil vocabulary where now you know people that disagree with me are the evil ones that have to be smited out and anyway it's just a big mess so i'm glad that you're i'm glad that you're um that you're uh that you're bringing these things up although i'm sure you have a more optimistic um uh take on it than i do <laughs> well and i i love your perspective i think it's a, a very aware perspective and and i think also you know you and i could certainly play the optimism card and talk about the nine thousand things that are, that are good, you know yeah. most awesome about yeah. the new age uh, yoga community maybe we'll do that next but, but let's do the yeah <laughs> yeah and also there some of those are so obvious enough that it's like yeah why point out the obvious yeah, uh totally so but yeah and i think the the third one that comes to my mind about the biggest challenges slash shadows in the yoga community i would call it inaction hmm. i think the uh, avoiding massive action in our lives in favor of kind of sitting back in the comfort of uh, theoretically thinking about things within a spiritual vocabulary, conversing about things, putting things on our vision board. But it's like, man, we're in this miracle called a three-dimensional body probably because it is a gift to use. So being, you know, going out and taking action, learning, trying, like trying new things, not thinking about new things. Uh, I think being the perpetual infant or, or toddler who's trying to learn to walk, mm. trying to do something that doesn't know how to do physically, I think that is so important for us. I, I think it's something that, it's easy for us to bypass because it is, it is so messy. It really yeah. is easy for us to bypass. I think all these things, these three shadows that we're talking about are all very easy to bypass, but uh, you know, the, the physical where, you know, in it, of course, there's thoughts and words uh, connected to, and hopefully inspired action behind the physical uh, there with it. But that, that's something I, I think I'm passionate about because it's just been probably in the last two years where it's become apparent to me, to me, like, this is so important to me. Like I've been hiding behind like the, the comfort of the theoretical zone for so long. Like, man, this feels good and it's scary and thrilling and amazing and delivers way more meaning than the theoretical comfort zone that to be in my physical body, like out doing things, not just like, the yoga class. Like, that's awesome. I love it. It's, it, it's a very intentional one hour, but I'm talking like outside of that, like the messiness in life, 
Yeah. I, I think that's that's a great gift to experience, and only we can prevent ourselves from experiencing that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And 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 I love that all of these three are kind of interconnected as well because it seems like you know that beginner's mind that you're talking about, you know, and 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 encouraging us all to engage in, which is also, um, I can't remember what the, there's like some concept or some Sanskrit concept where that, that is talking about the beginner's mind. I think it's from Buddhism. So maybe it wouldn't be Sanskrit, but anyway, um, the, you know, it's, it's, it, it's hard, you know, when we're younger, everyone always says, you know, it's when you're young, it's the easiest time to learn a language. And I, I have this sort of, I have this theory that that's not actually true, that what, what becomes harder is like being willy, being willing to be in that uncomfortable space of learning. Mm. You know? I, I love that brother. You know, it's brilliant. And, um, and, and so, yeah. So what I hear you saying is really, and, I, and I'm guilty of this too. In fact, what you said about the, the theoretical mindset is like, you know, I, I, I went to school, I went to grad school for Western philosophy and, and I, and I, and and I was very isolated in my in my head and very comfortable in the kind of you know goings on up there and the embodied stuff and especially like being in relationship with other people or being able to hold space for my own discomfort in other people's was something that was 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 challenging for me. So I really resonated with what you said about that as well. Yeah, right on. I'm I'm guessing I said it because there was at least one redhead on the line that needed to hear it, and maybe you too. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I, uh, I didn't really realize that I was a ginger until two years ago because I used to be totally blonde and then people started calling me ginger. I'd never been told yeah. that in my entire life. And it sort of was a, it was a wake up call for me. I was sort of awakened to my gingerness, uh, yeah. unbeknownst to me. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, we got to come to terms with who we really are. We're ginger <laughs> and it can take couple few decades to have the courage to acknowledge like I am a ginger (laughs) (laughs) our people have been through a lot though we've got to stick together yeah exactly you know there are got to worship the path of gingerness it's true I mean if we you know there are countries where our kind are not welcome I'm thinking specifically of the United Kingdom where I lived for a few years they have a whole comedic sort of culture around like making fun of ginger people which which is you know there you go just beware next time you go to London. Just look out. So, I, so, I will. Yeah. So we're, um, we're moving, uh, you know, towards the end of our conversation. This has been so interesting, and, um, and it's been such a nice chat with you. So I want to talk a little bit about um, what, in terms of your book, you know, How to Be Ultra Spiritual. Of course, we need to plug that book. I mentioned at the beginning. Um, you know, now, how much of this... It's hilarious, first of all. You know, I've only read part of it, but you're uh, seeing you in writing is actually really great. You're just as good in writing, if not better, than you are on video. So that was very pleasant. But what is your, you know, in terms of besides being uh, expressive creatively, what was your intention behind writing this book? Like what what did you hope would land in the people that read it? Sure. Yeah, definitely deeper messages beyond just entertainment and laughs. Uh, I like like to use comedy as a language to deliver deeper perspectives. And uh, the deeper perspectives here in considerations, there's a bunch of them, but three of the primary ones are invite people to uh, understand how they're losing themselves 
in a way that used to help them find themselves. So the path we take to find ourselves can be the path we're losing ourselves on. I think another underlying intention is to encourage people to be more unapologetically true to themselves. And then a third is to invite people to look for happiness where it is, Mm -hmm. not where it isn't. And if someone can uh, leave reading the book with even an inkling of some of those inspirations, then I would dare say the, the, the book was a success. Awesome. Amazing. How long did it take you to write the book? The first draft, uh, two and a half months. Oh, wow. You hammered that and, out. Yeah, I was very consistent with the writing process, very much enjoyed it. And I was yeah. writing in relatively you know, small doses, hour and a half at a time. So I, that kept me from being burnt out. I was hungry to write the next day. So it was a, a great rhythm. I really enjoyed the heck out of it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, one thing I wanted to ask you actually before we wrap things up is where does the headband, where, where does the headband come from? When did that come into the, to the scene? Yeah, I'm, I was uh, filming the first ultra spiritual video and just right before I started, I'm like, oh, you know, new age people, I should wear a headband, a flower that's kind of symbolic of uh, new age people so my ex-girlfriend i she was there i asked her do you have a, a headband and she said no but i've got this green scarf we could tie around your head I'm like okay cool we'll do that so i'm still using the same green scarf of my ex-girlfriend nice so what's next on the plate for you jp what do you have any um projects that are coming up that you want to share yeah, I've got a, a comedy tour that's starting in November, yeah, which I'm really going to enjoy. I've got a, a more of a, a sincere offering, uh, which will be, not sure when it's going to be launched, but it's in process. It'll be a, a monthly membership program where people can join the community. And oh, excellent. each week uh, we'll have new exclusive content and videos where we're exploring uh, different realms uh, in, about how to live an awakened life so that we can find more meaning in our lives through purposefulness and playfulness. So that's uh, that's going to be a very exciting project. I mean, the project's already in the works. I'm excited, uh, but it'll also be even more exciting to launch that here in, I don't know, not too distant future. Yeah. Is that going to also be kind of video based, but for the members of the of the group? Yeah, a lot of it will be video based. Uh, maybe all of it. So mm-hmm. definitely a lot of video. But it'll it will be you as as kind of the healer, coach. You know, organic you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Organic me, and you know, organic. Like I oscillate in and out yeah. of humor of at times. So yeah. give myself that freedom. But yeah, it won't be like sign up for this membership program and get a new comedic video every week. Right. It's like, oh, that's, I mean, that, I want to go deeper than that. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm so glad you are. That's amazing. Um, so then in terms of your comedic tour, are you going to be, is it like stand up or are you going to be, um, it, is it something it, we, format? We, we could relate it to stand up. Uh, I will be standing up. So what, <laughs> What's important, I look at stand-up as an art form itself. Yeah. And I'm not trying to... Scary art form. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not trying to be true to that art form. So there, there will be what looks like stand-up. But it's also important to me to speak from my heart in a way that amuses me. And uh, so there, there will be stand-up comedy, stand-up authenticity. So 
it'll be a hybrid. I haven't heard that before. Yeah, so it'll be a hybrid called JP as being himself. Wow, awesome, excellent. Well, I'm. Uh, I'm it's been such a pleasure talking to you today. Is there anything else that you want to share with um, uh, the listeners? Uh, maybe anything regarding what we talked about or we didn't talk about um, before we um, before we end this. Oh, just that I I think. Well, one, I'm very grateful uh, everybody would be paying attention to this conversation. And it's also my opinion that we are all much bigger than who we think we are. Mm. It's just something I consider. Excellent. Yeah, that's a good note to end on. So uh, if anybody who's listening wants to learn more about JP, I'm sure you know where you can find him. But in case you don't, you can check out his work at awakenwithjp.com and be sure to get his book, How to Be Ultra Spiritual, um, and, uh, and, and check out the schedule. Can you see the schedule for the, for the comedy tour on your website? Yeah, it's oh, there excellent. on my website. Will you be in yeah. New York? Let's, yeah, I'll be in Brooklyn. Oh, excellent. Excellent. All right. I'll have to, I'll have to come by. I would love for you to be obligated to be there. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, JP. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Jacob.